0: Brightness of the Father's glory. Lamb of God. Son of man. Image of God. Seed of the woman. Mighty one Holy one. Gift of God. Only begotten. Messiah. Lord. Bright and Morning Christ Star, Redeemer. Wonderful. Life. The angel of the Deliverer. Lord. Child. Truth. Image of First God, God. and last. Righteous servant. God, God of, the of God. Good A shepherd. Eternal light. Light of the world. For right. Redemption. king of glory. God with us. Jesus. Of God. Jesus. Jesus. Emmanuel. Jesus. 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 I got to redeem a little bit from last week. If you were here last week, any of you cat lovers um, that are in the room, I'm sorry. Um, but I have to redeem a little bit. Last Sunday, or last weekend in California, there was another contest that went on. It was actually the ugliest dog contest um, that they had last um, weekend. And this is the winner of that contest. The, the winner? Would you call that the winner or the loser? If you win an ugly contest, are you the winner or are you the loser? I'm not quite sure um, how this goes. This is Zha Zha. was the winner. This um, I don't know if this is uh, male or female. I'm not going there. Um, I'm just leaving it at that. The, the, this, um, they had to pick a winner and a loser um, with this. All I know is that the competition was really rough this year. Um, it was a tough one and... It doesn't get any better, people. Um, hang with me. That's about as good as it gets with my jokes. It's, it's a really good competition. Um, it's to raise awareness for pet adoption. Um, so something that they do to raise awareness for pet adoption, raise um, funds for that. So really cool competition. And um, I, don't, I really don't know how they judge just by looks, I think they said how, how much they slobber when they're on the judges' table is a part of that. You just, I think smell has something to do with it. But they've got, they've got categories and how they can judge which dog actually wins or loses, how you look at it. Well, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus had to do kind of the same thing. It wasn't for an ugly dog competition, but he selected 12 men. He had 12 disciples. So the 12 disciples that many of you know about, whether you're a church goer or not, or if you read your Bible much or not, you probably know that Jesus had disciples that followed him around. And he had to pick these people for his mission. Um, much more important than an ugly dog competition, it has to do with the message of God and what God is trying to teach us. But I've learned this over time, God's ways are not my ways. And sometimes he does things a little different than what I would do them. So when I look at how and why he chose the guys he chose, it sometimes confuses me. Why would he pick that guy? What's this guy all about? But he did this, and God is the master at this. He's good at taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. He's great at this. He's good at taking the simple things in life and making them spectacular. And it was God who used just a plain stick to part the Red Sea. Who used a little stone to kill a giant. And he used these 12 guys to change the world. Now, I believe if Jesus was here today, and he was looking for these 12 men, um, he was taking applications for these guys to be part of his team, that he might get some consulting. That's what we often do, right? When we don't understand something in business, we, we get consultants to come around us to help us out. I wonder if Jesus would have written um, a letter to some consultants, or had some of them look at what he was doing, um, made his business proposal, and gave them the resumes of all these men that had applied, especially these 12 that they might have given him some different advice. So just for fun, I thought um, it'd be fun to look at this. Somebody else wrote this, but they thought if Jesus was getting consulting for his business, they might write back to Jesus and say, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you have selected for the management positions of your new organization. All of them have taken a battery of tests and we have run them um, through our whole staff. And it's our staff's opinion that your nominees are lacking in background, in education, in vocational aptitude, For the type of enterprise that you are undertaking they don't they do not have a team concept and we would recommend that you continue your search for men of experience managerial ability and proven capability then they get into details with some of them they might write simon peter he's emotionally unstable he is given to fits of temper Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. And the two brothers, James and John, um, they place personal interest above loyal company, company loyalty. Sorry. And Thomas, he demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. Um, here's the best part. We feel also that it's our duty to inform you that Matthew, the tax collector, he's been under investigation by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. <laughs> then they get to this. But one of your candidates shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness. He was liked because of his ambition and he has a keen mind. He is highly motivated and responsible. We'd recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right hand man. <laughs> what, what, we're going to learn about Judas here in just a second, but it, sometimes it's just the opposite. What we see and what we think would work, God sometimes just does the opposite. And I believe that the church should be one of the best businesses in our community. And we can learn a lot from the world of business, and we need to apply good business practices in the church. But I also know there's a spiritual aspect that goes with church work, that goes with what God does. And sometimes the spiritual trumps any good business advice that you might get. Jesus, he didn't fit the mold of good management when it came to picking the 12 guys that he calls his companions, his disciples. But yet, he picked these guys anyway. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6. This is a series we're in. We're in a series this summer. All summer, we've just been looking at the qualities of Jesus. Why would we choose to follow him? Why is Jesus important? Why why would we choose to follow this guy? What makes him him? So in Luke chapter 6, we're going to look at this passage. We've been in Luke all summer. We've got a few more weeks um, through this these passages here in Luke. But in Luke 6, this is the part where he selects his 12. Um, And in chapter 6, verse 12, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples. Now, we're going to get into the list in just a second. So keep your finger there in your Bible or in your phone. If you have your Bible app open, you can see this. Um, Jesus had already spent some time preaching and teaching. He had traveled around, and these guys had watched him. They've already heard about Jesus. I believe that Jesus was also watching these 12 men. He'd also heard about them. So it's the case, you've probably heard it before, right? You're you're always at an interview. You're always applying for your next job. You're always working on your your resume. I believe that these guys were at an interview, and they didn't even know it. I believe these guys were watching Jesus, and they weren't even sure why. But yet, here comes a time where they have seen him heal, they have listened to him teach, and now he's coming to pick some of these guys. And Jesus does this. I call it praying through. He stays up all night praying about these guys. I think he had done it before, but this is the night before the big um, conference where he steps up and he tells everybody who his followers are going to be, who his disciples are going to be. And he prays it through. He takes it to God. And then he goes and he picks these 12 men. The first one that's up, you can see it in this passage, verse 13 um, is where it starts. Simon Peter is up. And Simon Peter, in almost every list that you see, he's mentioned first. He's a born leader. Uh, Simon Peter's the guy who opens mouth and inserts foot. He, he just does this. He steps out first. He's the first guy to walk on water. He tries things. He, he makes things happen. And he's usually at the top of the list. Now, some lists you're going to see mentioned as Simon. Sometimes it's Peter. Um, so some lists, it's actually Simon Peter because he's in between. But Jesus changes his name to Peter because later on, as he gives that first message in the gospel, or in Acts, at Pentecost, Jesus calls him the rock, and that's who he builds his church on. And that message is so important. Uh, we get to Andrew. Now, is the next guy on the list, but Andrew is actually Peter's brother. So Simon Peter and Andrew, these guys are brother. But Andrew's not mentioned as much. He's only mentioned a few times outside of the list that we often see of the disciples. He's only mentioned a couple times. But every time Andrew is mentioned, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Hey, come. I want to introduce you to my friend Jesus. Hey, you got to come and meet this guy. Every time he's got somebody with him, showing them who Jesus is. Then we we get to this guy, James, the son of Zebedee. Now, James was a common name even back then. And so to have James just listed, there would be a couple. We're going to see it in this list. So they describe him as who his dad was. His dad was Zebedee, so this is how he gets his name. He's known for being the first disciple to be martyred for his faith. He's the first guy to stand up, to make that claim, and to be killed for saying what he believes in. The next guy is actually his brother, John. So John and James, these guys are brothers. They're often known as sons of thunder. These guys are go-getters. Um, they're tough. They're, they're ready to make something happen. John was probably one of the youngest. As we do some research, he might have been one of the youngest of the disciples. He was also the one that may have had the closest relationship with Jesus. So even Jesus, among hundreds of people, he had 12 guys that were good friends of his. Even closer friends of three, Peter, James, and John, But even closer than that, John was probably his closest friend that he had. Even to the point when he was dying on the cross, he looked down and John was there and he said, John, take care of my mother. Um, So John was the one that took care of Mary after the death of Jesus. Then there's Philip. Philip's next on the list. He might be, uh, um, through research, the most realistic guy on the panel here. Uh, Practical. He would be the one that would bring everybody back down to reality. This is where we're at. This is what we're doing. Philip was good at this. The next guy, Bartholomew, he was also known as Nathaniel. You'll see that name a couple different places. He would be the guy that would have some prejudiced tendencies. He would be the glass half empty guy. The guy that always brought the negative into the situation. He was the one that said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? which is where Jesus came from, right? So he was always bringing it back to some of that. Um, Matthew, he's another one. We talked about Matthew just a couple weeks ago. He was also known as Levi. His other name was Levi. He was a tax collector. And we know that not very many people liked tax collectors. So he wasn't the most popular guy in the group because of what he did. But he probably gave up the most to be part of this group. Thomas might be the one that we all resonate with the most. I believe that we've all been there at some level where we've doubted. Because we get the name Doubting Thomas, it comes from this guy. Thomas would be, I would call him an honest doubter. He said, I want to see his hands, I want to see his side. And until he saw his hands and his side, he questioned whether this guy Jesus really did come back from the dead. But when he saw him, he was all in. He he might have doubted in an honest way, but man, he was all in when he saw what Jesus went through. We get to James, son of Alphaeus. Um, He's known by his father's name as well. They later call him, I would say it was a nickname, they call him James the Less. Why? We're not certain, but it could be because he was either shorter than the other James, or younger than the other James, or he came along after the other James. He was called um, to be a disciple after him. Uh, Simon the Zealot, he was a patriot against Rome. (laughs) So he would be an activist against the Roman government. He didn't like the Roman government. And I believe Jesus probably picked this guy more for his potential, his future, than his past. Than what he has done more to get us ahead in the game and what we could do. The next guy, um, this is where it starts to get confusing. There's a guy named Judas, son of James. Now Judas, son of James, later changes his name to Thaddeus. And Thaddeus, if I were Judas, son of James, and the other Judas did what he did, which we're getting to in a second, I would want to change my name as well. So he didn't want to be known as Judas. He wanted to be known as Thaddeus, probably just to distinguish himself from Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, the last disciple mentioned, and he's always the last disciple mentioned when there's a list, he was the one that turned Jesus in. He was the one that brought the guards to Jesus so that they could arrest him. And after he did that, after he sold um, Jesus out, he also then went and hung himself, committed suicide for what he did. Now we often think of Judas Iscariot as the dark, kind of, the creepy guy in the dark corner hiding out in the shadows right nobody likes Judas Iscariot he must have been the creepy one the weird one no one likes him because of what he did we have the history on him right but I really think it's probably just the opposite I really believe that this guy was probably the guy that was most liked he could have been the guy that everyone trusted the most He was the guy that handled all their money. He was the treasurer for the group. So here are the 12 guys. Who would you put in charge of all of your finances? The creepy guy in the corner or the guy that everybody trusted? I would say he was the guy that everybody trusted. In in fact, my guess would be that on the night that Jesus um, said that someone was going to betray him, that everybody was asking, is it me? Is it me? And Judas gets up and leaves the room. They might have all been saying, oh, Judas, where are you going? You have nothing to worry about. You're going to be fine. I believe they were all shocked when it happened. So there's that question. Then why did he even choose Judas? What was that about? But he did it, and he brought this group of guys together, and they changed the world. They were all a little bit different. They all had different backgrounds. They all thought a little bit differently. I even have heard this before. If everyone's thinking the same, then someone isn't thinking. So he had to bring this group of guys together. They were all financially different. Seven of them were fishermen um, by trade, blue-collar workers, hard-working men. One was a tax collector. We don't know what the other four did. We can make some assumptions on some of them, but we're just not sure their occupation They were politically diverse. Simon the Zealot, he was a political activist against Rome. However, Matthew worked for the government. He worked for Rome. So I believe there was probably some good political arguments going on within their group at times. And at times, I believe they probably found some common ground, which bonded their friendship and gave them something to strive for. They were all diverse educationally. Um, Luke was a physician, a a doctor, and fishing, it doesn't take much education to be a good fisherman. In fact, how I became better at fishing was by skipping college classes to go fishing more often. Don't tell anybody, all right? That's our secret. But sometimes you don't need the diplomas. Sometimes we think that, right? It's how smart you are, how many diplomas you have on your wall. How good are you at that? That's what God can use. And sometimes it's just the opposite. I actually heard about this story. Four guys were on an airplane. They were going up in an airplane, these four guys. And they got up in the air, and the plane ran out of gas. Imagine that, right? Silly. A plane running out of gas. The plane ran out of gas. Four guys, but there were only three parachutes. They didn't know what to do. The first guy stood up and said, I'm a doctor. I'm this close. To, um, curing cancer. I need one of those parachutes. So he puts the parachute on and jumps out of the plane. The next guy says, I'm the smartest guy in the world. I've got diplomas hanging all over my wall. In fact, I just want a contest. The smartest guy in the world. So he says, I need one of these. He grabs a pack and he jumps out of the plane. Well, the last two guys that are standing there um, with one parachute is a priest and a boy scout. Well, the priest looks at the Boy Scout and says, you got your whole life in front of you. You can change the world. You need to take this last parachute. I'm secure in who I am and where my future is at. I'll go down with the plane. And the Boy Scout said, not so fast, Father. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. See, it's, it's not diploma. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's the best laugh I got all day. I needed that. Thank you. Education doesn't always do it for us, right? It's not what Jesus is after. It doesn't always make the difference. In fact, one of the most enduring verses that I read, and this is for me, comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says this. This is Paul writing. He says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world, to shame, the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. The reason? So no one can boast. I mean, seriously, let's think about it. If, God would, if Jesus would have come through and he would have picked the best of the best, if these guys listed, if they were the best of the best, when they got done, they would have all walked around saying, <laughs> look what we did, look at us, look what we accomplished, they'd want published, right, they would want credit for everything that they did, but at the end, you know what they all said, look at Jesus, everything then pointed back to who Jesus was, Now, I believe as a church, we have to set some goals because of this. We have to set some goals that are beyond what we can do. And if we don't set goals beyond what we can do, we'll walk away saying, look what we did. But I can't wait, you know. I love it when we get to brag about who Jesus is. And I want to, in a year, in five years, in ten years, to be able to say, look what Jesus did through us. Look what God has done through this group of people. I want people in Manhattan to say, Crestview? Really? I, I know some of the people that go there, and they're not that good. <laughs> they shouldn't have been able to make that happen. That's the best compliment we can get as a church. And then we can step back and say, you're right, we can't. It's God doing it through us. We're not that good. Only he can do that for us. Acts chapter 4, it talks about this as well. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astounded and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They noticed these guys were a bunch of fishermen. They didn't have the background or the schooling or the knowledge to go with what they were doing. And they noticed that they had spent time with Jesus which is what Jesus did with them. So you're going to notice in the rest of chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, Jesus just did life with them. It was as simple as that. He took them with him. They followed him. They watched him. They listened to him. He did things in front of them. It's a golden rule of discipleship. Don't do anything alone. If you want to teach somebody, just take them with you. Don't tell them what to do. Let them see you do it, and they will learn. And he did this. And then they started to imitate him, to follow him. And then they went from imitation to delegation. And we get to to Luke chapter 9. So if you're still there, um, shoot over to chapter 9. You're going to see this. In verse 1 it says, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over the demons and to cure diseases. Notice this, in the very first verse of chapter 9, he does two things for them. He gives them power and authority. Very important, power gives them the ability to do it. Authority gives them the right to do it. They just didn't have the power. They had the authority as well to heal diseases and to cast out demons. They didn't just have the authority to do it, they had the power to do it also. And insecure leaders often don't do this. But Jesus was secure in who he was and what was going to happen. He delegated. Oftentimes, insecure leaders, and I've struggled through this as well and still make mistakes with this. Insecure leaders, it's tough to delegate because if I delegate to someone, right? You probably can follow me on this. If you delegate to someone, one, they might actually do it better than you. And that can be bad for you, right? Or they won't do it as good as you, and it won't be as good. So... It's tough to let go of certain things, but Jesus, he was there. He was ready. He did this. John Maxwell talks about this in Leadership Lessons, the idea that once you've worked smarter and once you've worked harder, the next is to work through others. And Jesus was fully God, but he was fully human, and he was trying to get humans to follow him. So as we learn and as we follow, he had to do some things to help us get there he wasn't going to be around much longer he knew that his time was coming when he was going to be crucified when he was going to ascend then into heaven after his resurrection and he had to trust these guys i believe at some point he might have sat back and said but they're not ready they're not ready yet they can't take this on they need more time to learn they need more practice they need to try harder but at some point he let them go Let's read on verse two. It says, And he sent them out to pardon the kingdom of God. Oh, sorry, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics, meaning, don't take an extra jacket with you. Just what you have on. That's what I want you to go with. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever. Um, They do not receive you, then leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. He was giving them instructions. His instructions were this, preach and heal. Tell others about the love of God. Tell somebody else how much we love them and don't take anything extra with you. You're not supposed to stay with someone that long. Just go in, teach, and then keep moving They were going to stay in others' homes, but not to plant roots, not to build these disciples, but yet just to tell the story, just to be witnesses. So said, if you're not welcome, then move on. Their job was to plant seeds, not necessarily to shepherd, just to tell the story and keep going. Um, I love this This. Legend. It's an old legend. I've used this before, but I think it's, it's a cool story. And it's not, it's not in Scripture. It's not a Bible story. It's just something somebody made up. But I think it's got some truth maybe behind it of the message that it shares. And it's a legend of when Jesus, after his death, his burial, his resurrection, and he, then he ascends to heaven. He is standing there with the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel is asking him questions. Wow. Jesus, it must have been tough those last few days, lots of pain, lots of heartache. And Jesus said, yeah, it was. It was those last few days. That wasn't very much fun. But Gabriel's excited. But you did it, right? You told everybody. Everyone on earth now knows who God is and how much God loves everyone. You told everyone, right? And Jesus says, well, no, no, not, not everyone, I told a few guys, there's a few guys down in Palestine that know, Peter, James, John, there were a few others with us, and some other people overheard us talking. We, we shared the story with them, but that's, that's about it. And Gabriel's a little nervous and says, what, what do you mean? You didn't tell everyone? He goes, no, I, I told these guys, and I told them to tell others, and then they're to tell others, and they're to tell others, and they're to tell others. And Gabriel said that, that's it. But we know these humans, and they're going to get tired. What, what happens in two or three generations or in 20 centuries from now? What if they get tired and they quit telling the story of the love of God? Jesus said, that's, that's my plan. I have no other plan. I'm counting on them. He picked 12 guys, and he was counting on them to tell the story, to tell the story, to tell the story. I he's counting on you as well. We're part of his team. He picked 12 guys to start with, but he's also picked you. And he's counting on you. You have been chosen by God to be a witness for him. You're on his team. You're a companion of his. You've been chosen. I, I get it. The question has long been asked, why did he choose Judas? <laughs> It's a great question. I can't wait to ask someday. Why would he choose Judas? But that's not the question that stumps me at times. The question that gets me is, why me? Why did he choose me to tell this story? Why would he choose me to continue this message on? Have you ever asked that question? Dale Carnegie um, tells this, this is a quote from Del Carnegie. He said, men are developed the same way that gold is mined. Several tons of dirt have to be removed to get one ounce of gold. But you don't go into the mine looking for dirt. I believe that's the way it is with us. Remember, God is great at taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. Jesus picked his team by looking past the dirt and finding the gold, and he does the same with you. You're not in a competition for the ugliest hog. You've been selected by God, the, the king of the universe, to continue telling others his story of how much he loves us. Now, one, you have to trust and believe it to begin with. And if you do, if that's something that that you have said, yes, I do, then continue telling the story. Then tell someone else about Jesus and how much he loves us and what he did for us because you have been chosen, you're part of the team. If you haven't accepted that role yet, if you you haven't said, yeah, I wanna be in, I wanna do this, then I wanna share with you. I wanna teach you, I wanna tell you more uh, about how God has selected you to be part of his team, to tell someone else. Let's do this. Let's stand together. We're going to enter into a time of remembering what he has done for us, what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let's stand together and sing.